0: Chapter 7 of The Daughter of a Magnate by Frank Spearman This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter 7 Time Being Money Sleepy Cat Town was but just rubbing its eyes next morning when the Brock train pulled in from Cascade. Clouds rolling loosely across the mountains were pushing the night into the west and in the east wind promise of day followed soft and cool on the platform in the gray light three men were climbing into the gangway of a switch engine the last man so long and so loosely put together that he was taking as he always took when he tried to get into small quarters the chafing of his companions on his size he smiled languidly at callahan's excited greeting and as they ran down the yard listened without comment to the story of the washout. No words were needed to convey to Glover or to Blood the embarrassment of the situation. Freight trains crowded every track in the yard, and the block of twelve hours indicated what a two-day tie-up would mean. In the canyon, the roadmasters were already taking measurements, and section men were lining up track that had been lifted and wrenched by the water. Callahan and Blood did the talking, but when they left the flooded roadbed and Glover took a way up the canyon wall, it became apparent what the mountain engineer's long legs were for. He led, a quick sure climber, and if he meant by rapidly scaling the boulders to shut off Callahan's talk, the intent was effective nothing more was said till the three men followed by the roadmasters had gained a ledge fifty feet above the water that commanded for a quarter of a mile a view of the canyon they were standing above the mouth of dry dollar creek opposite the point of rocks called the cat's paw and glover pulling his hat brim into a perspective looked up and down the river the roadmasters had taken some measurements and these they offered him but he did no more than listen while they read their figures as if mentally comparing them with notes in his memory once he questioned a figure but it was not till the roadmaster insisted he was right that glover drew from one of his innumerable pockets an old field book and showed the man where he had made his error of ten feet in the disputed measurement buck said last night You knew all this track work, remarked Callahan. I helped Haley a little here when he rebuilt it three years ago. The track was put in then as well as it ever can be put in. The fact simply is this, Callahan, we shall never be safe here. What must be done is to tunnel, sleepy cat, get out of the infernal canyon with the main line and use this for the spur around the tunnel when your message came last night morris and i took the chance to tell mr brock so and he is here this morning to see what things look like after a cloudburst a tunnel will save two miles of track and all the double-heading but glover what's that got to do with this fruit confound your tunnel what i want is a track "'By heavens, if it's going to take three days to get one in, "'we might as well dump a hundred cars of fruit into the river now. "'And Bucks is looking to you to save them.' "'Looking to me?' echoed Glover, raising his brows. "'What's the matter with Agnew?' "'Oh, hang, Agnew. "'If you like, but he's in charge of this division. "'I can't do anything discourteous or unprofessional, Callahan.' "'You're not required to.' It looks very much as if I'm being called in to instruct Agnew how to do his work. He's a perfectly competent engineer. That point has been covered. Buck's had a long talk with Agnew over the wire last night. He's needed all the time at the Blackwood Bridge, and he is relieved here when you arrive. Now, what's the matter with you? Nothing whatever, if that's the situation. I'd much rather keep out of it. But there isn't work enough here for two engineers. What do you mean? This isn't very bad. Not very bad? Well, how much time do you want to put a track in here? Glover's eyes were roaming up and down the canyon. How much can you give me? He asked. Till tonight? Glover looked at his watch. Then get 250 men in here inside of an hour. We've picked up about 75 section men so far, but there aren't 250 men within a 100 miles. Glover pointed north. Ed Smith's got 200 men not over three miles from here on the irrigation ditch. That only shows I've no business in this game, remarked Callahan, looking at Morris Blood. This is where you take hold. Blood nodded. Leave that to me let's have the orders all at once abe say where you want headquarters the engineer stretched his finger toward the point of rocks across the canyon right above the cat's paw tell bill dancing to cut in the wrecking instrument and put an operator over there for glover's orders directed blood turning to smith young i'm off for something to eat said callahan And by the way, what shall I tell Buck about the chances? Can you get Ed Smith's outfit? asked Glover, speaking to Blood. Well, I know you can. Ed's a Denver man. He meditated another moment. We need his whole outfit, mind you. I'll get it or resign. If I succeed, when can you get a train through? By midnight, Callahan staggered. Glover raised his finger. If you back off the ledge, they'll need a new general superintendent. By midnight? I think so. You can't get your rock in by that time. I reckon. Agnew says it will take a hundred cars. That's not far out of the way. On flat cars, you won't average much over ten yards to the car, will you, Morris? Like two wary gamblers, Callahan and the chief of construction on the mountain lines coldly eyed each other, Glover standing pat, and the general superintendent disinclined, through many experiences, to call. I'm not doing the talking now, said Callahan at length with a sidewise glance, but if you get a hundred cars of rock into that hole by twelve o'clock tonight, not to speak of laying steel, you can have my job old man then look up another right away for i'll have the rock in the river long before that now don't rubber but get after the men and the drills the drills i said the whole outfit would it be proper to ask what you're going to drill perfectly proper glover pointed again to the shelving wall across the river It will save time and freight to tumble the cat's paw into the river. There's ten times the rock we need right there. I can dump a thousand yards where we need it in thirty seconds after I get my powder in. That will give us our foundation, and your roadmasters can lay a track over it in six hours that will carry your fruit. I wouldn't recommend it for dining cars, but it will do for plums and cherries. And by the way, Morris, called Glover, blood already twenty feet away, was scrambling down the path. If Ed Smith's got any giant powder, borrow sticks enough to spring thirty or forty holes with, will you? I've got plenty of black up at Pilot. You can order it down by the time we're ready to blast. In another hour, the canyon looked as if a hive of bees were swarming on the cat's paw. With shovels, picks, bars, hammers, and drills, hardy and miners' boots and pied and woolen shirts, the first of Ed Smith's men were clamoring into place. The field telegraph had been set up on the bench above the point. Every few moments a new batch of irrigation men appeared stringing up the ledge, and with the roadmasters as lieutenants, Glover, on the apex of the low spur of the mountain, taking reports and giving orders, surveyed his improvised army. At the upper and lower ends of the track, where the roadbed had not completely disappeared, the full force of section men, backed by the irrigation laborers, were busy patching the holes. At the point where the break was complete and the Rat River was viciously licking the vertical face of the rock, a crew of men six feet above the track level were drilling into the first ledge a set of six-foot holes. On the next receding ledge, 12 feet above the old track level, a second crew were tapping a set of holes to be sunk 12 feet. Above them, the drills were cutting into the third ledge, and still higher and farther back at 20 feet, the largest of all the crews was sinking the eighteen-foot holes to complete the fracture of the great wall above the murmuring of the steel rang continually the calls of the foreman and hour after hour the shock of the drills churned up and down the narrow canyon during each hour glover was over every foot of the work and inspecting the track building if a track boss couldn't understand what he wanted the engineer could take a pick or a bar and give the man an object lesson he patrolled the canyon walls the road masters behind him with so good an eye for loose boulders and fragments such as could be moved readily with a gad that his assistants before a second round had spotted every handy chunk of rock within fifty feet of the water he put his spirit into the men and they gave their work the enthusiasm of soldiers but closest of all glover watched the preparations for the blast on the cat's paw morris blood in the meantime was sweeping the division for stone ballast granite gravel anything that would serve to dump on glover's rock after the blast and the two men were conferring on the track about the supplies when a messenger appeared with word for glover that mr brock's party were coming down the canyon when glover intercepted the visitors they had already been guided to the granite bench where his headquarters were fixed with mr brock had come the young men miss donner and mrs whitney mrs whitney signalized her arrival by sitting down on a chest of dynamite having intimidated the modest headquarters custodian By asking for a chair so imperiously that he was glad to walk away at her suggestion that he hunt one up though there was not a chair within several miles it had been no part of glover's plan to receive his guests at that point and his first efforts after the greetings were to coax them away from the interest they expressed in the equipment of an emergency headquarters and get them back to where the track crossed the river But when the young people learned that the blue-eyed boy at the little table on the rock could send a telegram or a cablegram for them to any part of the world, each insisted on putting a message through for the fun of the thing. And even Mrs. Whitney could hardly be coaxed from the illimitable possibilities just under her with a feeling of relief he got them away from the giant powder which ed smith's men were still bringing in and across the river to the ledge that commanded the whole scene and was safely removed from its activities glover took ten minutes to point out to the president of the system the difficulties that would always confront the operating department in the canyon he charted clearly for mr brock the whole situation with the hope that when certain very heavy estimates went before the directors one man at least would understand the necessity for them mr brock was a good questioner and his interest turned constantly from the general observations offered by glover to the work immediately at hand which the engineer had no mind to exploit the young people however were determined to see the blast and it was only by strongly advising an early dinner and promising that they should have due notice of the blast that glover got rid of his visitors at all he returned with them to the caboose in which they had come down and when he got back to the work the big camp kettles were already slung along the bench and the engine bringing the car of black powder was steaming slowly into the upper canyon On a flat boulder back of the Cooks, Morris Blood, Ed Smith, and the Roadmasters were sitting down to coffee and sandwiches, and Glover joined them. Men in relays were eating at the camp, and dynamiters were picking their way across the face of the cat's paw with the giant powder. The engineers were still at their coffee fire when the scream of a locomotive whistle came through the canyon from below. Blood looked up there's one of the fast mail engines, probably the ten twenty six who in the world has brought her up more than likely suggested glover finishing his coffee it's buck's end of chapter seven